Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Proverbs chapter 18, beginning in verse 22. Hear now the word of God. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer uh, before we hear the word preached. Let's pray. Father God, give unto us ears to hear your word that we would not merely recognize the audible sound of words, but rather we would take these words uh, deep within our hearts and that we would hear your voice speaking unto us that we would respond with faith, a God-given faith by grace, and that through faith and through the power and work of your spirit with your word, that you would use your word to conform us more to the image of Christ, that you would give us obedient and willing hearts, desirous to follow you, desirous to obey you, and desirous, O Lord, to honor you with our lives. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. It may surprise us, but sometimes we can find wisdom in places where we might not expect it. And in particular, as it pertains to the topic of friendship and seeking wise companions, there were a few quotations that I found in an unlikely place, particularly to this end. This one book said, a friend is one of the nicest things that you can have and one of the best things you can be. Another statement here, a friend is someone who helps you when you're down, and if they can't, they lay down beside you and they listen. Or last but not least, this I think is one that is perhaps my favorite of the three, it's not what we have, but who we have. Well, who is it that has uttered these sage and wise words about friendship, but none other than Winnie the Pooh? Uh, So you might not realize it, but you can find great wisdom in some unlikely places. But at the same time, we know that it's not a magical stuffed bear that has said these things, but rather the author, A.A. Milne. And while Winnie the Pooh is aimed at children, Milne, I think, wanted to pass on the importance of what a true friend was supposed to be like. Milne fought in World War I, and he was injured in the Battle of the Somme. And so I suspect that it was the support and the collegiality and the fellowship of his friends that sustained him through the horrors of war. Well, the very theme that Milne reflects upon in his children's stories in Winnie the Pooh, that of the importance of friends, is what Solomon also reflects upon here in our passage this evening. 
He talks about the importance and the value of friends, a topic that he has touched upon earlier in the book of Proverbs. None of us lives in isolation from another, but rather we are all enmeshed in a community. And who we choose as our friends, therefore, can be of the utmost importance to us. Quite literally, our companions can make or break us. They can either point us to Christ or they can drive us away from him. They can either want us to to make ourselves better Christians and to be godly people uh, and therefore lift us up or they can drag us down. And so in our search for companions, we need to seek wise friends, but chiefly and the most important friend that we ever have to seek in this life is God himself. If we know and love uh, the, uh, if we know of God's love and his mercy in Christ, and if we seek Christ's wisdom, then we're going to be able to have a good compass that will be able to direct us towards godly and wise companions, godly and wise friends. And so we want to give thought to what Solomon has to say about seeking godly companions, seeking godly friends. And we want to see what he has to say first about the nature of wise companions, Secondly, we want to see what he has to say about wealthy fools. One of the things that may attract us to a person may be their wealth. And so what Solomon says is, is not that wealth in and of itself is problematic, but rather wealth in the hand of a fool is problematic. And more importantly, if you're seeking a friend, you do not want to get into the company of a fool who is wealthy. You want to look past the wealth and recognize that character is more important than the amount of money that a person has. And then third and finally, Solomon warns us about the danger of wicked friends and the judgment that they can bring upon us if we associate with them. So wise companions, wealthy fools, and wicked companions. And so let's give first thought here to what Solomon has to say about wise companions. He begins by reminding his son, remember this is ultimately counsel that he gives uh, to his sons. We can imagine them sitting around perhaps uh, a table and eating as they pass on, as Solomon and his wife pass on knowledge and wisdom to his sons. And he talks about the importance of one of the most one of the closest companions that you might have in your entire life, and that is finding a godly wife. He says in verse 22, he who finds uh, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, if you think about the nature of your friends and we could say the concentric circles of companions that you have in this life, your family is perhaps going to be within that center circle. And inside that center circle, the bullseye would be the relationship between a husband and wife. And so Solomon says, one of the most important people in your life, and in this case, would be a a godly wife. And we can expand it out to say a godly spouse. Within the overall scope of the book of Proverbs, Solomon likens finding a godly wife to finding wisdom itself. Recall Solomon's characterization of wisdom as a woman and that he tells his son, get 
wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Listen to her as she beckons to you in the street. Don't go to the house of the adulterer whose path leads to death, but rather embrace the wisdom of this woman. Marrying a foolish wife can bring heartache. Solomon says in Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness to the bones. So in this vein, we could say that a godly wife can be like Priscilla from the New Testament, working side by side with Aquila to serve Christ and his church. Or conversely, a wife can be like Job's wife, who we would perhaps liken to rottenness in the bones, in that when Job was in the depths of his sufferings, what did his wife counsel him to do but to curse God and to die? This is something that can either be a heartache and a source of grief in your life if you have an unwise spouse, or a godly and wise spouse can be somebody that points you to Christ, somebody who is filled with wisdom and therefore can be a good companion. Remember what it is that God said about a solitary Adam in the Garden of Eden after he initially uh, created him? He said it was not good for the man to be alone. Now, this is not to say that all of us are supposed to be married. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 speaks about singleness being a gift and that they are not superior or inferior gifts, but rather uh, singleness uh, is a good gift from God, as is marriage. One way we can describe them is that because they are both gifts from God, the grass is green on both sides of the fence. Nevertheless, Solomon's advice here, he says, is if you seek companionship, if you're seeking a godly spouse, seek one who is wise. You know, so often it's the case that when we seek a spouse, whether uh, especially in our youth, what happens is that we are drawn to external things. We're drawn to how much money they make, what type of vocation they might have, what kind of car they drive, how attractive their appearance is. And yet one commentator says, why is not the deformity of the soul more powerful to dissuade us than the beauty of the face to allure us? In other words, what Solomon is saying, he's saying, look past the externals. Don't look simply at outward appearances. And in this case, don't just look at the beauty of a woman, but ask yourself, what does her heart look like? Is she wise? Does she fear the Lord? Is she going to point you to Christ? Do we merely esteem an external beauty or do we look for a beauty that begins in the heart and that is shaped by a love for Christ, that is shaped by faith in Christ. Now, in our pursuit of companions, going outside that concentric circle, if we start there in the home and we're talking about a spouse being a companion, uh, who do we seek? What type of person do we pursue as a companion? Solomon says in verse 23, the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. Do we pursue a friend merely because of their wealth? 
I mean, think about it. Wealth certainly has its appeal, an appeal all of its own. Wealth can bring you power. It can bring you influence. But what Solomon explains here is that the wealthy can often be indifferent to the poor. The fact that they live on a different uh, level of culture means that they are indifferent and they don't care about anyone beneath them. But at the same time, what Solomon's saying is he's saying, look past the external appearances, the wealth, the glitz, the glamour, the opulence. It's attractive. Moreover, you can see that wealthy people often have a, a large retinue of friends. But how genuine are these friends? Verse 24, a man, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what he's saying, as Solomon is saying, is he's saying, look past the externals. Just as you would look past the externals when you're seeking a spouse and you want to find someone who is wise, you want to look past the externals of wealth and look into their hearts. And so what this means is that I think that Solomon is impressing upon his sons and by extension upon us is that we have to be wise in our pursuit of friends. And if we are unwise, then we can bring heartache upon ourselves because we marry an unwise spouse. We can bring heartache upon ourselves because we pursue somebody because of their wealth rather than because of their character. And so I think what he's implicitly stating here is that we have to pursue and make friends first and foremost with God himself. Because if we are not friends with God, then our moral compass will be askew and it'll lead us off in poor directions. This is why, for example, James in chapter 2, verse 23 said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what does James say about Abraham's faith in God? He was counted a friend of God. Abraham had God as his friend. Or think, for example, as to what Jesus says to his disciples in his Discourse in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone should lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so here what the scriptures are ultimately casting our sight upon is if you're seeking a friend, first and foremost, your friend has to be the triune God. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in his work? Do you seek Christ and a relationship with the triune God through Christ and through the Spirit, so much so that not only does God by his grace impart unto you believing faith so that you trust in the promises of the gospel, but so that he implants in you the desire to seek wisdom? That he implants in you through the Spirit and through the word of God a compass to point you to wisdom. God befriends us in Christ, and he gives us the gift of faith through the work of the Spirit. And so that means that our pursuit of friendship 
before we pursue a spouse, before we pursue friends, has to begin with God, God in Christ. And if we seek the friendship of God in Christ, guess what? We need not seek the friendship of the wealthy simply for the sake of their wealth. Because we can entreat, we can call out to our heavenly father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we can say, oh Lord, I need your help. Oh Lord, I need your assistance. I need you in your providence to give me the means that are necessary so that I can live my life. I need you to give unto me my daily bread. I need you to give me a job. I need you to help me to feed my family. We can call upon the creator of the cosmos to this end. In Psalm chapter 28, verses 2 and 6, hear the, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Unlike the wealthy, who Solomon says there in verse 23, that the rich answer roughly, our heavenly father has no response for his children that is likened unto roughness, but rather... As Jesus tells us, he cares for us as a father cares for his children. So if God is our friend, God in Christ through the Spirit, that is the first and most important wise companion we need to have in this life. You've heard the hymn and it's familiar to you, but its words are nevertheless still relevant. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul, friends may fail me, foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while, while the billows o'er me roll, even when my heart is breaking, he, my comfort, helps my soul. God in Christ through the Spirit must first and foremost be our wise companion, our wise friend. And if he is first and foremost in our life and we cry out to him in prayer for wisdom, then he's going to help us when it comes to seeking that wise companion in a spouse. He's going to help us see through uh, the, the wealth and to look at a character of a person. It's like one person was fond of me telling me when I was a pastor, all that glitters is not necessarily gold. And that is so true when it comes to pursuing friends, especially those who have wealth. Well, what about wealthy fools? Let's give consideration to that, which, which is our second point here. What does Solomon have to say about the nature of a wealthy fool? Again, this is not any kind of criticism against the possession of wealth. Abraham was a wealthy man. Lydia in the scriptures was a wealthy woman. It's not about the possession of wealth, but rather it is the fatal combination of wealth with foolishness that is problematic. Think, for example, of Pharaoh. He was undoubtedly somebody who possessed great wealth, power and influence, and he alone had Israel in his thraldom. He seemingly controlled Israel's fate. He even went to the point of uh, commanding the execution of the Israelite infant males. Well, what is it that happened to Pharaoh? 
Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. He raged against the Lord rather than repent, and it cost him his life. And so wealth, therefore, is not necessarily all it's cracked up to be. And this is why Solomon tells his son in in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. And so what Solomon here is saying is, is, is you're pursuing friendship with somebody. Look through the wealth. Look past the amount of money that they have. And ask about their character. Are they crooked in speech? Do they have great desire, but they have this desire apart from knowledge, i.e. apart from the wisdom of God? You see, what the, the overall message that Solomon gives us is that the true wealth that a person has to pursue is not the wealth of gold or silver or precious jewels, but rather it's the wealth of wisdom. It's the wealth of truth. It's the wealth of personal integrity. And this is why he says it's better to be poor and to have no money and to have integrity than it is to have great wealth combined with foolishness. Think, for example, of Christ's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and in fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, says Luke. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. If we were to look at those two men and to judge according to the standards of the flesh and according to the uh, measurements of our culture and of the world, we would naturally, I suspect, gravitate towards the rich man. We would see the sumptuous nature of the food that he eats. We would see the opulence in which he lived. And then we would see Lazarus laying there in his uh, weakened condition, being licked by dogs. Would we be able to see that Lazarus believed in Christ? And the rich man did not. Could we see through the veil of wealth? Well, when the tables turned and both of them died and were called into the presence of God, the rich man begged Lazarus for even just a few drops of water from his finger as he was in Hades And Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. And what is it that Abraham told him? Luke 16, verse 25, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. 
Are we going to judge things according to the standards of the world? Or will God give us wisdom to look through appearances and to look to the character of a person's heart? To see whether or not they too look to Christ rather than judging according to the standards of the world. You see, the dangers are of, of wealth uh, and why it can be a lethal combination if it's combined with foolishness is that so many people turn wealth into an end unto itself. And this is where there's a really helpful distinction that St. Augustine made uh, some 15, 1600 years ago. I'm horrible at math. Uh, and so it, let's say roughly 1600 years And what St. Augustine would distinguish is he says in this world, we have to recognize the close relationship between using something and enjoying something. When we enjoy something, we enjoy it for its created purpose. And so what Augustine said is he says, as you look at this creation and you make use of it, He says, read Romans chapter 1. And what Romans chapter 1 says about the use of this creation is that as we use it, it is not an end unto itself. But rather, as we use the creation, as Paul says, the creation is supposed to draw our attention to the creator. As we look and we can see that the, the attributes of the glorious God who has made this creation, his wisdom, his power, his might, even his divine attributes, says Paul. So that everything in this world is not supposed to be an end unto itself, but rather it draws our focus and attention to God. And so what happens is that with wealth, so many people turn the wealth into the thing itself, an end into itself, and they merely use it. It becomes an idol. They do not enjoy it, which means they do not use it for its true and proper end, which is to say, O oh Lord, thank you for this wealth. Thank you for your kindness and love. In other words, it's supposed to cause us to look up to give thanks to what God has been so uh, beneficent as he gives unto us wealth and possessions. This is the same mentality that we find distilled in the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we enjoy him? It's not by focusing upon the things of this world so much so that we lose sight of the one who has made them, that we lose sight of the one who has given them unto us. That's the problem with Wealth and foolishness. The fool simply looks to the wealth itself and turns it into an idol and fails to worship the one who has given it to him. This is why Solomon says it's better to be poor and to wear the robe of Christ's righteousness than to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Desire without knowledge, without wisdom, is a path that leads to destruction. And so... Solomon, I think, is pressing the point 
Do you desire the companionship of the wealthy? Or do you desire the companionship of the wise? Or, to invoke that great sage, Winnie the Pooh. It's not what we have, but who we have. Do we seek the companionship of Christ? And do we seek the companionship of his wise saints in the church? Third and finally, what does Solomon have to say about wicked companions? He continues our journey as he shows us the limits of wealth and those who put their trust in wealthy fools. And so for those who like the power and influence of wealth, Solomon warns that it has its shortcomings. He says in verse 19, or sorry, verse 4, chapter 19, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. I suspect that if we became ultra wealthy all of a sudden, we'd have all kinds of people wanting to be our friends. I remember one famous musician from the 1980s who became wealthy because his songs became super popular, and he ended up having an entourage of some 200 people that cost him $500,000 a month. Proverbs 19.6, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Of course, he could afford it. He was making $33 million a year. Where do you think those 200 people went when his popularity evaporated and when his songs were no longer popular and he was no longer making $33 million a year? They all abandoned him. Verse 7, all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. Those so-called friends pursued the wealthy musician for what he could give them. Not for who he was, not for his character. Do you think that money will buy you friends or influence? Or do you seek the companionship of one who sticks closer to you than a brother, as he says here in chapter 18, verse 24? You cannot buy the friendship that Jonathan and David had. It's priceless. You cannot buy the kind of friendship and loyalty that existed between Ruth and Naomi. It's because it's a gift that comes from God through Christ and the Spirit, and it's the fruit of faith, a God-given faith. Where do you find the type of loyalty and companionship? Where do you find that friend who sticks closer to you than a brother? The friend who never forsakes you? You find it first and foremost in Jesus Christ. What does Paul say about the love of God in Christ in Romans eight thirty eight and following? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. So my question to you is this, is do you seek that Christ-shaped friendship and loyalty, first and foremost in Christ, and then secondly, do you seek it in the people that are in your life? Do you seek the people that embody 
that loyal friendship, that love that never forsakes, that sticks with you through thick and thin. That's the kind of love that you want in a friend. That's the kind of love that you want in a spouse who's willing to say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. We will never be apart. At the same time, the foolish use of wealth often goes hand in hand to to try to bend reality to your own wishes and desires by any means, even deceit. Verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. The wealthy often get away with crimes and lies because they can buy juries, they can buy judges, they can hire unscrupulous lawyers to look for loopholes to to evade the truth and, and to avoid justice. But once again, Solomon says, hey, push past the veil of appearances and behold the world through the eyes of faith. Look upon the world with wise eyes given by Christ through faith. God, he says, will hold liars accountable. Don't associate with the liars. They'll bring you down. It's fascinating to me that some of the last words in in the whole entire Bible talk about those who are going to be outside the gates of the New Jerusalem. Revelation 22, 15, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who practices and who loves falsehood liars. And so Solomon's saying, choose your friends wisely. In the end, I think we have to ponder very carefully Winnie the Pooh's words. They may seem very simple and even childlike, but how true is it? It's not what we have, but it's who we have. Do we have Christ as our friend? Only by the gift of God's grace and faith can this be so. And so to this end, we have to seek his grace. We have to seek the friendship of Christ. Do we seek wise companions who both love and pursue Christ? Do we seek a spouse who's going to make us want to pursue greater degrees of sanctification? Do we seek friends who love Christ and his church and who will stick with us through thick and thin? Are we the kind of spouses and friends that spur each other on to love Christ and to pursue wisdom? At the end of the day, remember the words of Winnie the Pooh. It's not what we have, but who we have. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we are so grateful and kind and grateful and just thankful that you have become our friends. It's not because you saw anything lovely in us. It's not because we were wealthy, because we were wise. But rather, we were everything that you were not. And yet, in your mercy and grace, you gave us your only begotten Son. You were a friend to us first. What greater love is there? that one should lay down his life for his friends. And so Christ indeed has done this, and we are your friends in Christ. What a tremendous blessing it is to be able to say that we have 
the creator of the cosmos, of everything that there is. He who was and who is and who is to come, who is our friend. Oh, Father, we pray that in all of life we would seek you consistently as our friend, that we would put you first, that we would seek wisdom from you and through Christ in the Spirit, and that you would mold and shape our hearts, that you would set the direction of our moral compass to do north, that in so doing so, O oh Lord, you would help us to see with the eyes of faith those who likewise desire to have you as a friend as well as those who desire to elevate their fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would, O Lord, spur one another on to greater wisdom, to humility, to sacrificial service, and to love. Father, we pray that we would decrease and that you would increase. Send us wise companions. Send us, O Lord, wise spouses. Help us, O Lord, to be wise friends, to point others to Christ. We pray that in the end, you would glorify yourself in the midst of your church as you continue to love us as your friend and that you enable us by your grace in Christ to be wise friends to others. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.